Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, thank you. Okay, let's turn one more time to Matthew 4, huh? The first uh, 11 verses, Matthew chapter 4. Your Bible ought to just fall open to that place. This is the third week in a row we've been there. I warned you about that three weeks ago, that we'd be looking at each of the temptations. Or, uh, as we said last week, we're looking at the account of God's testing of Jesus. Uh, We said that may be a better way to consider not just this event that's reported here, but events like this in our lives, in your life and mine. Because testing is is, is more comprehensive uh, and it serves a greater purpose. If we think about it that way, we would be wise. Testing is more than just temptation. It's more than just an enticement to do evil. Testing is actually how God strengthens and purifies his people. Sometimes God uses the devil in the process, but just the same, God superintends it. God is over it all, and he's always ready to help. He's always ready to empower us to to overcome. He's ready to rescue us. But he's always hoping that we pass by choosing his will and choosing his way. God is for us, and he wants to strengthen us through testing us. Every test brings us to a point of of decision, to to a fork in the road. Which means, and, and, and this was so encouraging for me to realize, every test we encounter offers us as much a chance to rise as it does to fall. You see? Every test brings a new opportunity to grow and to develop and to advance in our journey of purity and godliness. That's why James writes that Christ's followers should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Because, he says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Consider it joy. You say, ah, joy? I don't know about joy. That seems a little over the top. But it isn't, really. It isn't. Because, you see, every test is an opportunity for great good. And since God lets nothing reach us except that which he knows we can handle, every test can, by the Spirit's help, deepen our faith and our trust in in God and in Jesus. Uh, Now, the tests are not always pleasant. I don't have to tell you that. (laughs) You know that. Sometimes they cause great anguish. But anyone who knows anything at all about muscles will tell you it always takes some pain in order for strength to increase. That's just how it goes. The whole no pain, no gain thing, that's not just some trite saying. It's true in every part of life. It's true, including faith. And it's true even in Jesus' life, as we see right here. You know, his time, Jesus' time in the wilderness, that was no desert vacation. So uh, let me say the takeaway of this little sermon within a sermon is that instead of dreading them, if we will embrace the tests that come along with a confidence in God and his power and in his care for us, we'll not only pass the test, but we'll come out stronger on the other side in conviction and in trust. That is the way God works in these sort of matters. And Jesus understood it. 
Jesus understood this. He did not always relish the process of testing any more than you and I do, but he did embrace it and he was strengthened to do ministry and to act in God's name and for his sake in the world. Jesus was strengthened through it. The first two temptations were uh, different in nuance as related to Jesus' life purpose. We, We said that the first temptation was to be relevant the second was to be spectacular. Um, but still, you know, they're essentially the same in nature. Uh, Satan's challenge, his, his line of attacking Jesus all along was one of mastery. That was his question. So who is going to be your master? Who will tell you what you should do? Satan's strategy was to seed doubt in Jesus' confidence in God and in God's ways and plans. That was his strategy. You see, just before this, at at Jesus' baptism, God the Father, Father audibly declared his love for and his relationship and his pleasure with Jesus. That, That had just happened. So now, that is the very word that Satan tries to, to chip away and to, to attack over and over. And he does that by saying, if you are the son of God, then prove it or force God, your supposedly loving father, force him to prove that he loves you. And then Satan is so brilliantly devious. He added this to his argument. He said, but, but you know, don't just do this for your own peace of mind, Jesus. You see, if it could also be good for your mission. Because whatever you do or whatever God does in response, that'll enhance your standing with the crowds. Turn stones into bread. Give the people what they want. Establish yourself as relevant to the crowd and that will prove what you say. Then they will listen to you. Jump off this precipice and let God rescue you. Do something spectacular and that will prove what you say and the crowd will listen to you. That was his message, you see. But Jesus saw through both of those temptations and he overcame them by answering the devil with the word of God that he knew so very well. Jesus overcame them. So at this point, after the second temptation and the second time Jesus pushes back successfully at Satan, at this point, I'd imagine Satan is getting rather irritated. Uh, Satan is not accustomed to losing, you know? I mean, just look at the state of our world. (laughs) Satan's won here through the ages quite a lot. But here in the wilderness with Jesus, Satan's 0 for 2. So he changes his approach this third time around. He, He just throws aside all semblance of subtlety. And he goes for broke. He unmasks himself entirely. And he lays it all on the table. And he offers all that he has to Jesus. Verse 8 there. Again, the devil took him, just like in the second temptation, when he took Jesus to the high point of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know if he did that through a vision or whether there was some actual physical movement involved. Um... You know, it was like the transporter in Star Trek where they just sort of dissolve, you know, and then they kind of come back up. We don't know. Either way, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain this time and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and said, all this I will give you 
if you will bow down and worship me. You know, some people will do absolutely anything to stay in power. Won't they? That is power's wild allure. Uh, You see it in politics, you see it in business, you see it in families. Uh, Sometimes, tragically, you see it in the church. Uh, The appeal, the draw of the power that comes from being in charge. It drives people to lie and cheat and steal, even kill. Uh, They'll try anything. They'll promise anything. They'll give anything just so they can keep the power they have. By the way, that's when you know that your power or your position or your title has become an idol to you. Uh, When you will do anything, even that which you know is wrong, you'll do anything to keep hold of it. Satan does that right here. He does that right here. Now, we know that Satan has no eternity, right? Satan is a, is a dead man walking, if you will. So, so you can read about Satan's end in Revelation 20, if you, if you want to know more about that. But, but Satan has no eternity, but Satan does have today. And he has the world today. According to Paul in the book of Ephesians, he's the prince of the power of the air, which means that he does have a degree of power in our world, like we didn't know that already. And he knew that if he could just get Jesus to fall, he could keep hold of that power even longer. So he pulls out all the stops and he offers Jesus all he had to offer. Authority over the world. Jesus would be vice regent beneath him if Jesus would bow down and worship him. That was the offer. Now, it's ironic on one hand, and it's, it's, it's kind of comical in some ways, to think that we have a prince offering here to give authority to the one who was born to be king, you see. Uh, but that's what Satan does, you know, even to us. He offers us a trade. He'll give us the temporary if we will give him our eternity. Temporary pleasures, temporary satisfactions, temporary happiness. He offers us the fulfillment of of momentary urges if we will give him things eternal. Peace, contentment, joy, purpose, and even relationship. He offers us the temporary because that's all he has to offer. And he hopes that we'll be so drawn in by the lure of the now that we will mindlessly trade the certainty of the eternal for the now. It's a, it's a terribly crummy deal, you know, when, when you stop to think about it. It's a terrible deal, but that's just what Satan does not want us to do. He does not want us to stop and think about it. He wants us to act right now. He wants us to act on emotion, on passion, on our lusts. That, that can rise up and capture our better thoughts. And so toward that end, he suggests all sorts of false deadlines and limitations. You know, it's like those on TV that try to sell us something. Uh, do it now because the offer is passing by. 
You got to grab it. You got to grab it while you can, because tomorrow the offer may not be there. Um, more often than not, not not always. But more often than not, when we feel that sort of urgency to do something that we're not entirely sure is even right, that's probably the devil. You know, you might be being tempted. (laughs) It's like the vein of the Jeff Foxworthy, you know, redneck jokes. If you hear a little voice in your ear saying, oh, the Bible doesn't really mean that, you might be being tempted. If the thought crosses your mind, does God really care about this little sin? You might be being tempted. If you think the heat of hell might not be so bad, since you just spent the last week in Phoenix, you you might be being tempted. Uh, That's how he works. It really is. Satan tried all that stuff on Jesus. He said, listen, all the suffering that you know is coming to you over the next few years. Why put yourself through that? I can make your life way better. Give up on eternity. Choose the now. Do what you want to do. Choose power over impotence. Choose authority over servitude and make your choice now. That was the devil's big pitch. To Jesus, it was just like his big pitch to Eve and to Adam. You can be like God. And it was just like his pitch to the escaped nation of Israel out in the wilderness. You can't trust God. Those nations, they will crush you if you try to do what he says. But praise the Lord. (laughs) The difference is that Jesus overcame the devil's lie. For a third time, verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. I will not worship you. I will worship God. So the devil left him and the angels came and and took care of him. You see, Jesus is the, the living counterpoint to the nation of Israel. He's the reversal of Israel's disobedience when they were in the wilderness. Don't miss that. Jesus crossed the sea. Israel crossed the Jordan. Jesus crossed the sea of baptism. Jesus spent 40 years in 40 days. And in his victory, he became the last of the true Israelites. You see, he became the one who would accomplish what God intended the nation of Israel to do. But even more than that, Jesus is this living counterpoint to Adam and Eve. They gave in to the temptation to be like God. They wanted to call the shots for their own lives. Instead, Jesus chose to let God the Father be God and let him call the shots. Israel wanted to be her own master. Adam and Eve wanted to be their own master. Jesus, on the other hand, affirmed that God the Father is going to be his master. And in doing that, he overcame the devil's temptation and he passed the test. He passed the test. Just a few chapters later, in Matthew 12, Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says, no one can enter the strong man's house and take his goods without first tying up the strong man. You know? That's exactly what Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 4. 
By overcoming the temptations that Adam and Eve and then Israel nationally could not overcome, Jesus entered the house of the devil, the strong man, and he bound him. He tied him up. And so you and I and anyone who will receive Jesus and follow him with our lives, we are the goods that Jesus has plundered from his house. We were all born under Satan's domain. But because Jesus overcame him, if we trust in Jesus, we are freed. Jesus frees the captives. But let me say this. The devil does not give in, uh, give in easily. You know, he just didn't, oh, okay, and walk away. Um, the same pitch that the devil has used throughout time, he still uses on Christ followers today. And in, in what he says, the things he says and the things he does, he's not just trying to get you and me to commit this or that individual sin. Although he would love that. But he's out for way more than that. Don't, don't think it's just this little thing or this little thing. He's out for more than that. He's trying to push us off the course that we have chosen for ourselves to obey God and live a life of service to him. That's what Satan's goal is. In choosing Jesus, you see, we put ourselves on God's path. And the enemy, since he wants our destruction, he tries at every turn to shove us off. Now, if we're in Christ, the devil has no power over us except that which we give him. But just the same, he is always trying. He's always suggesting, always tempting, hoping to push us off the path. Listen, don't let him push you off. Don't let him push you off. The temptation to be our own master, to grasp power for ourselves, overcoming that is the key to staying on the path and following Jesus clear into eternity. Let me give you just two, two closing examples of this. Um, the first are are the hymn-like words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Philippians. He wrote this. He said, Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You see, Jesus, the very Son of God, chose to let God be God and so chose to let God order his life on earth. It's possible that Paul could have even speaking of this very instance in Jesus overcoming the devil's temptation. We, we can't say for sure. But to follow Jesus, to be a Christ follower, means doing the very same thing. To say a hard and strong no to the temptation to the power that comes from being our own master. And instead, to leave that in the hands of of God the Father. I will do, Father, what you want me to do. That's the first. And then there's this one last word about this from, uh, from Jesus himself. And this is an observation. I told you I was taking some of these um, thoughts from Henry Nouwen. And, and if you're interested in the name of Jesus, this is a book that he wrote. It's just a little thing. On, uh, on leadership, but it's, a, it's all about Jesus and these temptations. But the, he observes this. He says, after the cross and after Jesus' resurrection and just before he was taken back to heaven, we, we call it uh, Peter's reinstatement. You know, there on the shore, 
Jesus says to Peter, when you are young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, on the surface of it, it seems to be about just aging in a broken world, right? I mean, it's a little uncomfortable to think about like that even. Uh, but uh, that's what it seems like. I mean, when we're younger, we're physically and mentally, we are able to go where we please, do what we want, dress ourselves. But as we age, we wind up depending on others for even the simplest of things. Uh, and, and that is true. But while that is true, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. You might guess that. Jesus wouldn't just jump to that. What Jesus is talking about here is actually Christian maturity. That to follow in the steps of Jesus means to come to a point where we will willingly be led to places that we may not particularly want to go. I mean, think about the context here. Peter tells Jesus this right after he he commissions Peter to care for, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep, look out for my lambs, feed my sheep. Right after that, it's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, and and Peter, (laughs) this is part of the job. This is what it means to be a mature and complete servant. This is what it means to really follow me. To stretch out your arms and to be led to a destination not of your choosing. To a cross, for example. But just the same, to be led there to a place of powerlessness by the will of a master. Now, now please understand, this is in no way about some emotional or mental weakness where we we become just passive victims of the world around us. Uh, To be powerless and, and humble in spirit is not to be spineless and allow other people to make all our decisions for us. That's that's not what this means. What this is about is letting God wield the power such that any power we might want to grasp is given up in love and service to him. Powerless and humble in spirit means that we are so deeply in love with Jesus that we will stretch out our arms and we will go with him anywhere he leads us, trusting that we will with him Find life, and even abundant life in that place, no matter where that place is. For our own good, and certainly for the good of this world, and and even more for the glory of God, that is the path that all followers of Jesus are called to walk, because that's the path that he walked. And it's hard to follow Jesus if you don't walk after him. The tempter wants nothing more than to push us off of that, you see. So again, please, follow Jesus' example in this. Don't let the enemy push you off that path. Now, uh, if he has at some point (laughs) or another in your life, if he has pushed you off, you can correct that. You can correct it today. You just admit it. I am not doing what I know Jesus wants me to do. 
I am seeking power. I'm seeking control. I want to be my own master. All you have to do is admit it and repent of it. And then jump back on the path as fast as you can. Because for all followers of Jesus, you see, to push away the temptation of of power, the temptation to be our own masters, to get on and stay on the path of God for our lives and, and to pray ourselves the words of Jesus where he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. For us to do that, that is the hope of our world. Are you following Jesus like that? God hopes we all are. If you're not and you'd like to, you can today. And he will help anyone who who chooses that path. He will help us to do it victoriously. Father, would you uh, drive the truth of your victory over temptation deep into our souls today? And if there are some here, if there's one here, that realizes, maybe they've thought for years, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I've, uh, yeah, I know Jesus. But they have not relinquished that power. They have not given you uh, the control to be master of their lives. Lord, would you bring that person to yourself? Would you help them to give over that quest for power, that demand for power? So that we might all follow you with all of our hearts. Anywhere you lead us. Anywhere you lead us.